Good morning, church family. It's great to be worshiping with you today. Sun Tai Ging Hong, I hope you have had a good Chinese New Year, a little bit different this year, but um, we continue um, to gather together remotely. Um, but God is with us in this. The Spirit is with us. And um, although a life is turned up a little bit upside down, um, especially um, these last couple of years, and especially this last week, um, we come to God with what's on our heart. We can come to God with our gratitude. We can come to God with the things that are troubling us, the things that makes us anxious and angry. And we get to be a part of what he is doing in this world. We have been in this This Is Us series now um, for three weeks. And Today, we're talking about love, doing good, this third part of our vision. And we've walked kind of through these first three parts, love God, love people, love doing good. It's what God calls us into. And we've also been hitting on our core values each week, and we'll do that as well today. But we get to be a part of this together, church. And I know, I mean, for me, I love it when we're all gathered here um, in this place. Um, but even this morning as the team was gathering and praying, it was a representation of the body of Christ. And you are that as well. God knits us together, even in this distance. He knits us together through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what connects us. And so we get to be a part of that now, I want to talk about this kind of this overview arc, and Pastor Brenda talks about this in her core class, this creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We see this whole arc in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and it sets the context for what we're talking about today. Creation, of course, is created good. God says that about his creation and about humanity, and of course, the fall enters the picture where sin begins to bring a destruction, right, disease things like COVID, brokenness, right? Injustice enters the world. And then we see this redemptive act of God working in and through Israel and then Jesus to bring his redemption to the world. And then finally, this restore, restoration process that, that Jesus prays for. Jesus prays in the Lord's prayer, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we get to be a part of this restorative act. That's why this love doing good is part of this restoration that we get to enter, okay? Now, we're going to talk about um, a particular way of doing good today. And we're talking about justice. Um, justice, and you can see the definition there, means loving our neighbor as we love ourselves and is rooted in the character and nature of God. As God is just and loving, so we are called to do justice and live in love. This is part of that love doing good. It's a part of being about what God is doing in this world. And so we're going to jump into Isaiah 58. Now, Isaiah, the context for this book, Isaiah is writing to the people of God during a troubled time in their lives. Um, he has predicted that they will be in exile, that the Assyrians and then the Babylonians will be conquering them. And then he begins to enter a phase of the book where he's talking about God's comfort, um, God's restoration, God's redemption for them. Um, but we find Isaiah placed right in the midst of that, Isaiah 58. And so let's jump into Isaiah 58, starting with verse 3 now. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? This is the call of the people. They're saying they're fasting, but God is not acting 
Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And then the response here from God via Isaiah, yet on the day of fasting, you do as you please and exploit all of your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So Isaiah here is confronting the type of fast that the people are doing. He's saying you're worshiping, you're expecting God to act, yet there's no integrity in how you're living your life. Worship is not to be a show. Worship actually enters us into relationship with God. And it's being transformed by that relationship, meaning in our loving God and our loving of neighbor, that is what our worship leads us into. If our worship is disconnected from loving God and loving our neighbor, then Isaiah is saying that is not worship at all. Okay, now we enter into this, and I've put it in two columns here. On the left is the scripture, on the right is sort of a a subject line for it. And these first verses talk about caring for the oppressed will bring dramatic changes. And verses six and seven are, what should we do? Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and break every yoke. You get this yoke imagery, right? And we see Jesus borrowing this imagery when he talks about his yoke being light and his yoke being easy. There's this freedom from oppression that he brings. Verse seven, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from you your own flesh and blood. We see this incredible care for the needy, for the poor, for those in need of help. Isaiah is connecting that to our worship. This is how we worship. And then what are the results of this type of worship, of caring for one another? In verse 8, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. This word righteousness in Hebrew is the same word for justice. This right relationship with God vertically and this right relationship horizontally with your neighbor. So righteousness and justice are connected and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. So this result of worshiping this way, of caring for the needs of the vulnerable in your community, offers this protection from God, this dependence on God, this trust in God to say, God, you will take care of us as we take care of others. Okay, then we transition here to to 9b. And removing oppression will bring transformation. When oppression is lessened, God begins his transforming work. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, 
with the pointing of finger, that's that judgment, right? That condemnation. And we, we love to judge and condemn others who, who live differently, who think differently, right? He says, if you do away with that type of thing and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Those are the reasons, and the results of that, that light becoming into darkness, right, goes on into verse 12. And you can continue reading on your own later today if you wanna reflect on that passage. Isaiah is saying, what do you need to do? Spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry. Satisfy the needs of the oppressed. This is part of our worship. This is part of our righteousness that we get to participate in this justice movement that God is doing. So that is loving God, loving our neighbor, right? And love doing good. It's all interconnected. We were talking about light yesterday in the men's life group. We're going through Philippians and Philippians 2, 15 says, we'll shine like the stars. We get this light imaging in scripture over and over. And we as followers of Jesus, when we are in right relationship with God and others, we're shining like the stars. This is part of that light that we get to be a part of as we love doing good, as we love those that God has brought into our life. So Isaiah is not saying that God rejects all type of fasting. He is saying that God rejects fasting that has no impact on your relationship with God and with others. He says, that's not the type of fasting the Lord wants. He doesn't want an act, right? He doesn't want a show. He wants worship that is transformative. Ken Weitzma, um, he's the founder of the Justice Conference. And several years ago, he actually came and he preached here. Um, He has written a book called um, Pursuing Justice. And it's a, a great book. And in that book, he talks about three reasons for doing justice, three reasons for justice. And first is this ethical necessity. Doing justice is just the right thing to do, right? We see this rule of reciprocity in scripture. We call it the golden rule. Love others as yourself. And this comes from Matthew 7, 12, where Jesus says, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. There's this reciprocity due to others. There's this proactiveness due to others as you want them to do for you. We call it the golden rule, but oftentimes we settle for what uh, we call, or I call the silver rule, right? It's not quite the golden rule. It's not quite, um, you know, that doing to others. And this is what the silver rule is. Do not do unto others as you would not have them do unto you. What does that mean? It's very passive, right? It's, it's saying, I won't harm you and you don't harm me, right? Don't mess with me, I won't mess with you. Don't bump me in line and I won't bump you. I won't steal from you so you don't steal from me. I won't yell at you when I'm mad so you don't yell at me. Do you see the silver rule there? It doesn't involve us actually getting engaged. It just means you know, sort of do no harm, but it's not proactive. God calls us to something more intentional. Do unto others. This is an act. This is something 
proactive that we get to do. It's not ignoring the need that you see around you. It's actually participating in it. It's not saying, well, I didn't cause that problem, so I'm not gonna be part of the solution. It's actually stepping in the midst of that fray and doing to others as you want them doing to you. And we worship a God who lived out the golden rule. We worship a God who did not have the silver rule. Oh, humanity messed things up, so I'm going to just stand back, right? We worship a God who did to us. He came to us. He risked loving us. He entered the fray. He sent his son. And so we come to him as a God who has shown us by example. The second thing here, uh, the theological necessity. Our understanding of God should compel us to doing justice. This is key. Why, why does the golden rule... Um, you know, why is it so well-loved no matter what religion you are in? Why does it resonate, right? Because I think it reflects who God is and we are created in his image. We are all connected together because of the fact that we are created by God, everyone being in his image. So your neighbor who is very different from you um, you still get to be connected to him because you are connected in him with God being both us created in his image. So what I would like you to do in the chat box here is to, to what particular area of, of the world or what particular issue, what particular people group does your heart move for when you think about the needs of this world, when you think about the challenges that there are, the, whether it's um, the homeless here in our city, those living in subdivided flats, whether it's racial inequality, um, whether it's cancer, what issue is on your heart? I want you to type it into the chat box because God calls us into this and we probably are each wired differently and yet we each have something on our heart, right? That, that God has spoken to. What are the things that when we see them, our heart turns because we want it to be made right? Go ahead and tap, type those into the chat box just as a way of remembering that, just as a way for us as a community to see that there are others in our community, and this is their heart. So the last three years, obviously, we've been going through COVID. And how do we do justice in this? And we've seen this idea of having vaccines for everybody, right? Not just those wealthy countries, but getting vaccines to countries that don't have them yet. That's a way to be involved in that, and that might be raising awareness for those things. We've seen even in our city, the economic realities of that. And we've, as a church, have been able to participate in the restoration of those who have lost their jobs, those who have um, been impacted economically. We've been a part of funding grants to those who have lost their jobs. We've been a part of bringing laptops into those students who are online who can't afford laptops. This is a way to be about justice and righteousness. So who is near you? 
what issue do you care about? Just put those into the, the chat box as a way of saying, these things matter to me. A third reason um, that we should do justice is our own personal well-being. Doing justice is actually good for our health. It's actually good for our lives. Doing justice gets us outside of ourselves. Doing justice allows us to, to see things from another's perspective, right? We're pretty good at putting ourselves in the center of our universe, right? Our needs, our career, our children, and we can lose sight of those around us who might be going through real challenges. When we get to participate in doing good, it removes us from our own sort of myopic worldview and brings us into the lives of others. That's why proximity is so important. That's why we want people to be participating in outreach events because when we go into these places, whether it's into the prisons or into the elderly homes, you can't be close to others in humanity and not be moved by the need. So we invite you into that, but it's actually good for us. Jesus says this in John 10, 15, 10 to 12, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So Jesus is saying, when you do these types of things, actually that there is joy that is generated in you. There's actually something that happens in you. And if you have been a part of um, one of these outreach events or part of these ministries or part of doing good, you get that feeling, right? There's something that happens inside of you as you pour your heart out. God meets you in that place. And it's because we're connected. Loving others actually produces joy in us. Being close to those others actually does something in our own hearts not loving out of obligation, but because you have been so loved, you have been so transformed by who God is and what he has done in your life. When you love others, not because you have to, but because your life has been turned upside down by Jesus, you have this new orientation. And we get to experience that flourishing as we love others. I was Googling this week, inequality and flourishing. And this is some of what I found, that everything from life expectancy to infant mortality to obesity, they are linked to the levels of economic inequality in a society, whether that be a city or a country. The greater the economic inequality, the greater health problems of that particular place. The larger the gap measured by the Gini coefficient, the more homicides, the more prisoners, lower literacy rates, more mental illness. This should not surprise us. When we do justice, we're shrinking that gap. We're, we're being a part of God's restoration. And when that gap is its biggest, we can see that the whole society suffers. Our gap in Hong Kong is one of the biggest in the world. That's why we get to be a part of that restoration. Research is saying if you want to live longer, have better well-being, you should work towards shrinking that income inequality gap. And this is what we see in scripture as well. Doing justice is God's command. It's his character, but it's also good for us. 
Paul tells the Ephesians this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we love doing good, but it's also participating in God's plan and we see how that works out as we actually do it. In the spiritual danger of doing good, we see Peter Greer, who was the CEO of Hope International. And this is a great book. If anybody wants to borrow it, you can borrow my copy. He says this. He says, there's a danger actually to to doing good. And we can flip the picture and picture um, over now to the sound booth here. Um, In our enthusiasm to do good, we can become self-reliant. We can neglect our family. We can be more focused on success than faithfulness. When we are doing good, there are dangers to that. And the longer we do good, the bigger the dangers are. We can become self-reliant, right? Instead of God-dependent, we can neglect the very needs of our family because of a mission, right? We can look for success in our doing good instead of being faithful to God, And of course, this takes us away from God's intention. The call to do good, right, can be a self-serving project. We can sort of puff ourselves up and go, look at how good I am at doing good. Instead of bringing us closer to God, it can actually pull us away. Peter Greer goes on to say his own journey of doing good led him to discover um, these warning signs, right? these warning signs of forgetting why you serve, you know, focusing on what you are doing and not what you are becoming. That one resonated with me as we do good, it can change actually how we think about our own process. What is it doing to us internally? Have we lost sight of how we're being shaped and formed as we do good? Have we become more Christ-like or actually have we drifted away from God and then pursuing recognition more than pursuing Christ? Do we want others to notice? See, this is what Jesus says to us and it's sobering. He says, people are gonna come to him in that day who have been doing so much good and yet he doesn't know who they are. Christ says this to them. He says, I never knew you. To those who had been doing good, right, but not connected to Jesus, not in relationship to Jesus, they'd forgotten that redemptive work in their own lives. Jesus doesn't say, apart from me, right? Jesus clearly said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus didn't say little, he said nothing. That should be sobering for us as we do good. There's a need to be connected to God in that doing good. We need to stay connected to Jesus, connected to the vine. We have this dynamic relationship as we love God, this vertical relationship. It transforms us to love others. We're not meant to take that horizontal relationship away from God and try to do it in our own strength, but rather in dependence upon God. Richard Rohr founded the Center for Contemplation and Action because we need both. We need this contemplative. We need this engagement with God, but our faith also calls us into action. And I love what he says about contemplation. He says, contemplation is a prayerful letting go of our sense of control and choosing to cooperate with God and God's work in the world. As we connect with God, it brings us into that relationship and his cares and concerns for the world. And it allows us to see where is God moving and how is he calling me into that? 
We see this lifestyle in Jesus himself. He ministers to the crowds, right? But he doesn't meet every single need that he sees. He also needs time to pull away, to connect with the Father. He ministers and then he's refreshed. He ministers and he's refreshed. And we need to do the same, church, especially in this season. We're all maybe a little bit frazzled. It's tough. It's been a tough journey. We need that refreshment from God in order to be refreshing for others. So don't neglect that connection to God, especially now. So we connect with Jesus and he shows us how to do it. Because his heart leads us into the places of need, right? And we can do the same. We can let Jesus minister to us and we can be ministers to others. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here, that you love us, that you even now can be ministering to us and fill us so we can minister to others, God. We thank you for who you are in your name. Amen. Each of these weeks, we're looking at one of our core values, and this week is love in action. And so we have stories from community here about people talking about this value. Let's listen. Good morning. I was invited to share what love in action means to me. Before I became a Christian, I thought that love was just a feeling, and that I only say this to people who I cared about. I didn't consider that love was an action. If someone uh, had a need, or if there was a need, I would only help if it didn't make me uh, it didn't take too much of my time uh, or if it wasn't uh, an inconvenience to me. Sometimes I would help and expect something in return. And now that I think about it, it was very wrong for me to uh, think this way. But when I accepted Christ, I learned that Jesus came to serve and not to be served. Him dying on the cross for my sin was the ultimate love in action for me. Knowing this, he taught me to love unconditionally and not to expect anything in return. For me, that meant I had to get out of my comfort zone and be more of a servant. I consider myself very shy and I used to feel uncomfortable going to new places, meeting new people. But I, but in obedience to God, I had to take courage and take a leap of faith and follow his calling. So here in Hong Kong, I was asked to participate in ministries that I thought that I may not able, that I probably wouldn't be able to do, but I trusted God. Uh, he would give me that courage, and he did. Through these experiences, I was blessed and witnessed love in action through people I've met. When I was reflecting that love in action means to me, I found that love is mostly an action word in the Bible not a feeling. And Paul tells us how love in 1 Corinthians is. 13, 4, 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor other, And it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrong. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Thank you. Love is patient, love is kind. I lost my patience at the restaurant in Guangzhou earlier this week and said something not very kind to the waiter. My wife reminded me that they are just young kids who left their rural villages hundreds or even thousands of kilometers away to come to cities to earn money for a better life for themselves and for their families. Why can I not be more patient and kinder to them? Indeed, we read in 1 John 3, 18, Let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. This is a reminder from the Bible that love is not just a noun, it is a verb, evolves action. It is not merely a good idea to talk about, but a command to live our talk. My friends, when the moment of truth comes, how can we express love through both what we do and say? Hi, I'm Connie. I'm a person enjoying doing things together with people. So I always think love should be expressed through action rather than kept in mind. My definition about love in action is not only referring to act of services, but in general referring to all five love languages. I personally appreciate word affirmation and the quality of time more than other love languages. Serving in kids' ministry gave me a lot of opportunity to do things through act of service. But before I joined the ministry team back in my personal life, I don't really enjoy doing act of services, uh, mostly referring to doing the house chores or preparing food at home. If I find myself enjoying do doing those things, it would be probably because I enjoy the quality of time I spend with my family members or being motivated more uh, through their appreciation words for those acts. Stepping into Shine Kids Ministry was a big, bold step for me because I never thought I was qualified for this job. Back to my previous career path, every time when I think about making a move, it was because I thought I was ready for something more or I prepared to make a jump. But stepping into Shine Kids Ministry was a full of leap of faith. Trusting God will guide me and leading me to plant His work in Shine Kids Ministry. All I could offer is my love in action to our Shine Kids, our parents, and our volunteers. Through doing the ministry work over the past few months, I also realized His love is the only perfect love in the world. That feeling in the missing part that we couldn't get from other people. My dad was a very strong opinion person. He always gave me very strong opinion to my personal life decisions out of love to protect me from making wrong decisions. But that also leave a big hole in my heart that I don't have enough self-affirmation upon myself. 
serving in shine, and leaning in God's love, feeling that missing part. And I become happier and stronger. And I love to doing the ministry work as Christ's feet and hand to serve with humbleness and joyfulness. However, the love in action through me will never be perfect. It will have mistakes, it will have shortfalls, it will have unintentional negligence. But it is because of our imperfection, it causes us closer to God to reflect in His perfect love, to utterly appreciate and grateful for His sacrificial love for us. Therefore, I always tell myself, it is beautiful to serve imperfectly for His perfect love. Thank you.